Okay, Bruch Welcome everybody. Welcome everyone. Tonight we have a very important share. This is the most important share of the whole year. Why? Because it's tonight, and also because you could tell it's very important. The Satan tried to be makatrig, but here we are. We're right before Purim. We know the Ben Chai teaches us that every year on Purim we knock out Amalek a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So everybody could please mute. Until the final Purim, where we give Amalek the final knockout punch. Hello? Okay, so uh, tonight's Shira, the Shirman Sefer Shemais, are again generously sponsored by Dr. Zakheim, Lema Shvachta, Leila Nishmas, Rav Shleim Eliezer, Ben Rav Yaakov Zakheim, and Leila Nishmas, Rivka, Bas, Tuvya Halevi, Veganeden, Tehei Nishmasam, Tehei Tzura, Besar Hachayim. The Shurim of Chodesh Adar are sponsored by the Israeli family in memory of their beloved father and grandfather, Rabbi Yeshua ben Yecheskel. This week's share is sponsored by, is sponsored Lila Nishmas, Juliet Bat Esther. Also tonight's share is sponsored by Yossi Eisenberger. So all of the sponsors should be Nisbarich, Bechol Mili Demetav. Okay, here we go. Purim Shir, 5783. First thing is, you have it? Raise your hand if you have it. Raise your hand if you have more than ten yet. <laughs> okay, you have it on English and Lashon Kaidesh. Even if you bought it last year, you don't know where you put it. So you need another one. Or you gave it away. You gave it to your uncle. He didn't open it yet and he doesn't. He lost it. So you could give it to him again. He doesn't remember you gave it to him. I, that's my routine. That's my... Uh, Whoever wants a laptop, just send up. Yeah, we just have. So it's interesting. People say, you know, for a rub to market his farm, it's unusual. Why? Why is? It? So I want to I want to share with you that when the uh, Baal Kitzur Shulchan Aruch came out with the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Shlomo Gansfried, he put a article in the newspaper. It went like this: Anyone who buys nine Kitzur Shulchan Aruchs gets one free. Anyone who buys ten, uh, excuse me, ninety gets ten free. So you see, you got to get the safer out. Okay. Um, Purim. Here we go. Also, the good news is... A second. Are you connecting? What? Unconnect. What? Unconnect. Connecting for what? A second. Connect to what? The computer. Okay. Just take it off the Wi-Fi, okay? Okay. Thanks. Okay, so let's discuss this evening the very last Pasuk in the Megillah. In the past, we've discussed the uh, third to last Pasuk in the Megillah. Tonight we're going to discuss the last... Sit. I'm not doing anything. Tonight we're going to discuss the last Pasuk in the Megillah. The Megillah ends. Ki Mordechai HaYehudi, Mordechai the Jew, Mishnah LaMalach HaChashverosh, is second in command. V'gadol HaYehudim, he is great for the Jews. V'ratzoi L'Roi he is desired by most of his brethren. Doi Reish Toiv he seeks out the welfare of his people. V'doi Ver Shalom L'Chalzaroi, and he speaks peace to all of his descendants. This is the climax of the Purim story. That the Megillah ends, that... Mordechai HaTzadik rises to great eminence. He is second in command. He's the greatest of the Jews. And they actually like him. So how does the Megillah end? They like Mordechai. 
Okay, that's interesting to know. I understand it might be unusual for people to like the rabbi, but it has nothing to do with the Purim story. Why does the Purim story end that, oh, guess what? You know what happened? The people liked Mordechai. That's the grand finale of Purim. The people liked Mordechai. What's that got to do with anything? Our life was in danger. We were saved. So let's celebrate. It should end. There were Koiveya, Mishta, Simcha, Yomtif. But why does the Purim story end? That Mordechai was liked by the people, that he was powerful, that he was eminent. Why is that the climax of the story? So, if you've been listening to the Purim Shirim over the years, you know that my favorite Purim Shirim, so let's say I'm going to be speaking somewhere. Let's say tomorrow I would be speaking in Brooklyn. This is what I'm going to speak about. But not, not what I'm doing tonight. I'm just giving you, uh, if you haven't had heard this year, you know this year where Haman is coming to tell the king to hang Mordechai on the tree that he prepared for him. To hang Mordechai on the tree that he prepared for him. So the Gemara asks, of course Haman prepared the tree for Mordechai. It goes without saying. Why does it have to say, Asher Heichin Lai, that Haman prepared for him? It should just say, Asher Heichin, that he prepared, he obviously prepared it for Mordechai. So the Gemara famously says, it looks like he prepared it for Mordechai, but in reality, Haman was digging his own grave. He was preparing the tree for himself. This is a subject we spoke about at length many, many times, that every plan, machination, scheme of Haman, Hashem backfired, he hijacked, he co-opted, and he threw it back at him. Right? Remember that, Cher? With the taxes? You know that. Okay. Tonight, I really wanted to name the Cher. You know the Cher right, right back at you? I wanted to call the Cher right back at you on steroids. But I didn't think that would have been a nice uh, name for a shear. So we called the shear um, boomerang. We called the shear boomerang. One second. Don't get it. You're Miller Shear. Um Okay. So all the plans of Haman backfired against him, and Hashem used uh, to fire back. No, the the Wi-Fi is not good here. Okay, what are you gonna do? All the plans of Haman, Hashem co-opted. He hijacked and he threw back against him. We're gonna take this idea to the next level this evening. Let's talk about Haman's name. What was Haman's name? Haman. But in the beginning of the Megillah, he had a different name. What was his name in the beginning of the Megillah? In the beginning of the Megillah, say that ten times fast. The beginning of the Megillah. His name was Memuchan. What does Memuchan mean? Memuchan means prepared, designated. The Gemara even says, if you look at number five, the Gemara Megillah on your base on base, by Yomir Memuchan, Tana Memuchan ze Haman. Memuchan is Haman. He was designated for punishment. So that, that means he was primed for disaster. He was primed for punishment. And what happened to him? He got a different name. How did he get a different name? Why did Haman have a different name? So it's very interesting. The Reb Chaim Knievsky says, let me explain to you what happened. Rav Chaim says, you know, Achashverosh was in a dr- drunken stupor. 
His wife's not listening to him. So he didn't know what to do. So some, uh, the seven Chachamim over there, they said, kill her. So I says, great idea. So uh, they hung Vashti. Even though, by the way, what, what does it say in the Megillah they did to Vashti? Anybody know? Hmm? Anybody ever hear, uh, go, go to show for Chris Megillah? You know, the ancient Hebrews had a practice that they went to the synagogue on Purim to hear the Megillah. What does the Megillah Esther say that happened to Vashti? The answer is it doesn't say. It doesn't say what happened to Vashti. But we presume that she died, right? Because he's marrying someone else and he was upset afterwards. So probably he knocked her off. But Chazal say that she was hanged. So Achzirz wakes up from his stupor and lo and behold, what happened? Vashti's not around. She now, he knocks on the, hey Vashti! Vashti windows, right? No, she doesn't want to, she can't wash the windows because she's not around. She's dead. It's very hard to wash windows when you're dead. Scientists have, they, um, that guy, Fauci, did a study and he came up that um, most people who are dead can't wash the windows. So, Achzirz uh, said, who, which, which crazy people told me to hang her? So he went to seven advisors and he killed all seven advisors except for one guy who was smart enough to change his name. Haman got out of it, says Rukhaim Kievsky. He changed his name. That's why he's never called Mamuchan again in the Megillah. Um, Achzirz, where's Mamuchan? Where's Mamuchan? Uh, I don't know what happened to him, Haman said. He, I think uh, he, uh, he was taken away by, uh, by the Communist Party and uh, we don't know what happened to him. Achzir said, really? You know, you look very familiar. No, you never saw me before. When I was born yesterday, I, I had, yesterday I was born, yeah, but you're 50 years old. Yeah, I, I look very old for my age. And Haman, tell him you're not available. <laughs> Haman changed his name, and uh, that was the end of it. And that's why Achzir never caught him. So it's very interesting that his name originally was Memuchan. Mamuchan means Muchan Leparanas designated for punishment. But in the end of the day, he got a worse name. Because what does Haman mean? Haman means prepared. It means, who, who remembers the Gemara in Chulan? The Gemara in Chulan says, Andaf Kofla Metesam Abeis, Haman Menatara Minayin, Hamin Ha'aitz. Rashi says, Yisla Allah Aitz. He was hanged on the tree. So he thought, you know, it was a good idea to change his name from Memuchan to Haman. Because Memuchan implies prepared for punishment. And Haman sounds like a, a nice triangular cookie. Little did he know that that was not a good idea. Because Haman means hanged. That's literally what the word, that's literally what the uh, word means. My brother says the chair is not coming through. The internet hasn't been working Tell, tell all the people that that's why they need to be at this year. Um, tell them we did it on purpose. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the first step. Let's explain further. The Gemara tells us that, you know, it's very interesting. Does anybody know, in what parsha in the Torah does it say that a woman has to listen to her husband? Where in the Torah? Where, where, where does it say a woman has to listen to her husband? The great mitzvah of a woman listening to her husband. The most important mitzvah in the Torah, right? It doesn't say it anywhere. No, it doesn't say it. It says the, the man has to take care of her. Every time the Torah talks about marriage, is the man's responsibility. Avram Avinu, he pitched Sarah's tent first. 
In Parashas Mishpatim, it says you marry a woman, you didn't want to marry her, she's a maidservant, make sure you give her everything that she needs. Nowhere in the Torah does it say a woman has to listen to her husband. The only people who are busy with this are Haman and Achashverosh. They're the only chevra busy with the obligation of a wife to listen. Why? You could <laughs> explain that on many levels, but the Gemara says that this was the most absurd thing in the world. I mean, we're talking about 2,000 years ago. Every woman understands that, that that's her duty. So when Ahasuerus sent out letters, from now on, from now on, the man's in charge in the household, people were like, oh, this guy's out of his mind. You know, imagine if in, in, uh, in Afghanistan, they sent out a message, from now on, the man's, uh, like, what planet? You know, Pshita Mai Kamash Malan. This is Persia 2,000 years ago. Achashverosh is sending out a letter that a man is in charge. So says the Gemara, if not for that ridiculous first letter, then the Klaiso would, ha- would, would not have survived. Because when he sent out the second letter to eradicate the Jews, the Gentiles said, oh, the most, this guy's out of it. This guy's crazy. I mean, he has a track record. First he, wants, first he send, makes, legislates that women have to listen to their husband, and now he wants us to kill the Jews. So that, that, that sort of put a damper in the Igarois Shniois, and that was really um, that was really a the source of the Jew, of uh, the salvation of the Jewish people. Namely, the source of salvation was the first letters of Achashverosh. So, the simple meaning of the Gemara is that Achashverosh appeared like a fool making the first decree, so that when he made the second decree people didn't take him seriously. But there are many different interpretations of what it means that the first decree of Achashverosh ensured the Jewish people's survival. The Malbum explains it as follows. You know, Achashverosh has a problem with his wife. So what does he do? Who does he ask the advice of? He goes to the Chachomim Yoidei Ho'itim. What is this? This is America? We're talking about a dictator 2,000 years ago. You have a problem with your wife, and you're asking, there's a Congress there? What, what do you think happened, yeah, in Russia a hundred years ago? <laughs> if, if Stalin didn't like what his wife did, so what did he do? He would plant her like a tomato. And he would, every, let's say every three minutes, he would do that to somebody else. That was a hundred years ago. And what happened a thousand years ago? The, the monarchs had, you know, it was like a revolving, uh, revolving door. All of a sudden, Achashosh is a liberal, and he's asking the advice of Chachamim Yodei Itim. Why is he doing that? Why is Achashosh doing that? So, uh, the Malbim says as follows. The Malbim says, that was the law of the land. That was the law in Persia. The law in Persia was that, Kichin Devar HaMelech Lefnei Kol The law in Persia was, that any time a situation affected the king, the king had to ask the advice of his assembly. That's the meaning. The king said to the people of the time, That was the law. That if it's relevant to the king, the king cannot make his own decision. The king has to adv- ask the advice of the assembly of Persia and Media. So says the Malbum... There was a man by the name of Memuchan. And Memuchan said, He says, 
milafonov, that if it's relevant to the king, you make the decision. This is absurd. We're not in America. You're a dictator. You're Malch Mekipa. From now on, you call all the shots, whether it's relevant to others or if it's relevant to you. Says the Malbum, if not for this law, Klaiso would have no survival. Why? Because the next thing we know, Achashverosh is having a beauty contest. I mean, what kind of absurd legislation is it? What kind of ridiculous law is it? I was just passing a law that to have a beauty contest in the whole world. His assembly said, you're out of your mind. You can't do that. Asher said, what do you mean? Memuchan said, I call all the shots. So everybody tried to dissuade him. Everybody tried to discourage him. But Asher said, uh, no, nothing of it. I'm in charge. I make my own decisions. Not only that, Asher finds Esther. So the assembly says, who are you marrying? You know, your last wife had good yichos. And the only reason you're the king is because you're a lie, you're piggybacking off her yichas. So who's this fine young lady you're marrying? Where does she come from? Uh, I don't know. Who's her father? Uh, someone found her in the garbage. Who found her in the garbage? A rabbi. Oh, okay. So you're telling me the woman you want to marry, a rabbi, a, what kind of rabbi? He said there's only one kind of rabbi. A Jewish rabbi found the girl in the trash can. And where was she? Oh, she was in his basement for 20 years. Okay, so let's get this straight. The king is marrying a woman that nobody knows where she comes from, and a rabbi picked her off out of the garbage. They said, you're out of your mind. How could you be the king of the world marrying a woman with no yichas? Asher's, what do you mean? Memuchan made a law. From now on, I call all the shots. Says the Malbum. That's the meaning of the Gemara. If not for... The legislation of Memuchan, we had no survival. Now, Rabbi said, who's Memuchan? Haman. If not for Haman, Achashirish never would have married Esther. The only reason Achashirish married Esther is because of Haman. So here we see how the Rebbe Shalom is co-opting the plan of Haman to bring about Haman's downfall. Let's take it further. So Esther takes... This I'm going to have to say tomorrow, so don't pay attention. But Esther... And Haman, they're alone in the palace. And Haman takes a misstep with Esther. And Achshash walks back in the room. And he's fuming. And Haman is like, uh, oh, I do, bah. he's trying to get out of the situation. And Charvoina says, Why don't you hang him? There's a great idea. And he hangs him. Hey, Achshash, why don't you have to ask the advice of your advisors? The answer is, says the Yosef Lekach, because a man by the name of Mamuchan legislated that Achshirsh calls all the shots. So when Achshirsh gets angry at Haman, who dug Haman's own grave? Haman. Haman's the one who legislated that Achshirsh calls all the shots. That's how he married Esther. That's how he killed Haman. Let's take this further. Okay, this... Yeah, and they passed it. Yeah, because it says. Yeah, right. He he proposed it, and they they gave it that. Now, the Chassam Soifer brings that his Rebbe the Hafla is bothered. Why does the Megillah need to tell us that Achashverosh passed the law that the husband's in charge? Is that connected to the Purim story? Listen to this. 
Who's there? The guards of Achashverosh. Mordechai, open up. We know you have a girl hiding in your house. So, why didn't Mordechai say? Really? You're right. She lives here. You think she listens to me? I don't know what she does. She goes gallivanting out at night. I don't know where she is. Haven't seen her in a few days. In fact, I heard she ran away. Why didn't Mordechai cover up for Esther and just say, you know, she doesn't listen to me and let her run away? She could have ran away to Krakow to, and open up a base Yaakov over there. I don't know. She had a lot of places to go. Says the Hafla. Now that Achashverosh passed the law, Leois, Kalish, Soyer, Soy, the man calls the shots, that was federal law. So Mordechai can't say she doesn't listen to me, because then Mordechai would be endangering his life. So now that the law is that the woman listens to the man, now Mordechai's trapped. He has to say, uh, yeah, here she is. So Mordechai loses his excuse. Ah. Comes to B'chaim Knievsky. Okay, that explains why we need to know the law that the man's in charge. Why do I need to know the law that every woman has to speak the language of her husband and every man has to speak the language of the community? This is very important. That if you live in New York, you have to speak New Yorkish. And if you live in Lakewood, you have to speak Lakewoodish. And if you live wherever you live, you have to speak the language of that community. Because if not for that, when when Achashverosh sent out, you know, instead of the Jews being killed, the Jews could kill their enemy, then the Gentiles could have said, no, 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 what it means, what it means, you don't know this language, you don't understand this language. What it really means is, but once it was federal law that everyone must clearly speak the language of that location, then when Achashverosh changed the text of the documents, that it said that now the Jewish people will kill their enemy, there's nothing anybody, there's no wiggle room. Everybody must speak that language. So, says Rav Chaim Kinevsky, it was goloi l'chol ha'amen. Meaning it was clear what the intention of the second letter was. Okay. Now this is Oyem This is the Goinus of Rav Chaim Kinevsky. His yard site is Shushan Purim, of course. The Megillah opens off, opens up. And it talks about Achashur's displaying the great wealth of his kingdom. That he had 1,080 storehouses and treasures. And he showed six a day. Six times 180 is 1080. Okay. Why, why is Achshirish doing this? Why is he showing off all these things? What, what's, what's going on over here? Says of Chaim Kiyeski, did you ever go to a wedding that just never ended? You know, it's just like, how many Oidi Shamas could you play? Uh, you know, now they, they man, you, know the, you know when the second dance is just, just never ending, just keeps on going? Imagine 180 days. Azriel was playing the keyboard, probably we could stay all night. But on a regular guy, it's you know, it gets a little bit tiresome. So Achashverosh's plan was that every day he's gonna show something new, something new. Every day there's gonna be a chidosh to uh, show the people. So on day one he showed six treasures, and on day two to keep the people interested, he showed another six treasures. And finally, after 180 days, he depleted all his storehouses, all of his treasuries. 
I would assume that's why he said, okay, l- let me show you the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. You know, let me try something new. Why do we, why do we lane that in Eicha? I'll tell you why. Because if you see someone in Shul take out Kalim Mi Kalim Shoinim, a phone, you should think it's like Tishabav. He's trying to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. You should tell him, that's just, you know, no extra charge for that. You don't do it? From now on, you're going to do it that way. That's the Eicha. But, the reason why Achashverosh took out those Kalim is because every day he wanted to show new things, new things, new things. And then he has nothing left. So he's like, okay, Vashti, come out. Let's go, Vashti. In other words, says Reb Chaim Kinevsky, where did Achashverosh get this brilliant idea to have the queen parade herself? Because his whole idea was every day he's going to show new zachen, new zachen. The thing was, there's nothing left. So on day, on the seventh day, after 180 days, he used up all of his oitzar. And then he started taking out Kemal of Samikdash. And then on day seven, there are no more Kalim left. So he has one more Kli. You can be Medaik. The Gemara says that when they started fighting, which were more beautiful, Achashver says, Kli Shani Mishtamesh, boy. So there was, this was the last item he had to demonstrate. I would humbly add that one of the things he took out were the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. The fact that he took out the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash God Hashem so angry that he thought he was desecrating the Kalim. Taking out the Kalim made it that we got the Kalim back. How? Because he took out the Kalim, Hashem said, all right, you're going to desecrate the Kalim? I'm going to desecrate your Kali. You're going to call Vashti. She's not going to listen. You're going to marry Esther. She's going to have Daryavesh. He's going to give the Kalim back. So Achashosh's whole plan backfired. He thought taking out the Kalim would desecrate the Kalim. No, taking out the Kalim gave us back the Kalim. Next. Haman makes a gallows 50 amos tall. Why? That's insane. Yeah, how tall 50 amos is? It's taller than young Israel. This is the, this is the biggest membership in North America. But Lamaisa, Haman's gallows were taller. Right? Haman's gallows were taller than this uh, building. For what? You don't even see over 20 Amis. Why did he make such such tall gallows? So it's brought in the Sefer, Sefer HaChayim, of the brother of the Maral of Prague. The brother of the Maral of Prague says as follows. He says that Haman had a dream. In the dream, he saw... Mordechai flying over his house. You know, Mordechai was flying over his house. So Haman got spooked out. Do you have dreams like that? No. But Haman did. Haman saw Mordechai flying over his house. So he said, I better fulfill this dream very quickly. So he said, I'm going to make a big gallows. And this way, Mordechai will be flying over my house on the gallows. Little did he know that no... He's going to be hanging on those gallows. And the dream will be fulfilled because Mordechai is going to take over the house of Haman. Okay, next. Next backfire, and then we're going to take this to the next level. So, Haman made the gallows. 
And then he goes to Mordechai, and he found that Mordechai was sitting in the base medrash, and the children were sitting around him wearing sackcloth, and being Isaac and Tyra, and they were crying, and they were screaming, and there were 24,000 children learning. So the medrash says that Haman tied them all up in iron chains, and he appointed guards on them. And he says, tomorrow I'm going to kill all of you. So the mo- they started crying, and their mothers came and brought the kinderlach bread and water, and said, my dear children, Please don't die hungry, at least like a good Yiddish mama. If you're going to die, at least die well fed, right? <laughs> and, the co- <laughs> and the kids said, no, if we're going to die, we're going to die betainus. And they screamed so loud that Hashem says, what, what is that? What is that? I never heard tefillah like that. Children in such sar. It sounds like goats. It, can't, it sounds like sheep. And the Rebbe Hashem said, no, these are the Tinochah Shabbos Rabban. And that cry of the children pierced the heavens and tore up the Gezerah. So who caused the Gezerah to become Batal? Haman. By Haman chaining up the kids. So they cried more. That was Mavatal the Gezerah. So who brought about Haman's downfall? Haman. Okay, so that's an idea we've spoken about in the past many times. I just gave a few new examples. And now we're about to take it to the next level. I call this right back at you on steroids. You ready? Okay. Question. When God gave us the Torah at Sinai, what did we say? Thanks, but no thanks. No thank you. No thanks. We, we want cheeseburgers. We want to bring our phone into shul and look at it during Chazar Sashat. Why? What's the problem? We don't want to part from it. We want to talk by davening. So God said, but I have to give you the Torah. No, 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 thank you. So God said, I'm going to kill you if you don't say the Torah. Okay, fine, thanks, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nasa v'nishma. Even though we did say Nasa v'nishma, but Chazal also say that Hashem had to force it upon us. Kafalim har kegigas. And the, the way to reconcile that is when it came to the written law that we were going to accept orally, we were not really interested in the oral law. And God shoved it down our throat, so to speak. And when did we finally accept the Torah willingly? Purim. Hajar Kablu So the Chafetz Chaim is bothered. I understand. For, for, uh, from the year that the Torah was given, 2448, until uh, for a thousand years, they didn't, they didn't want the Torah? They didn't accept the Torah until Purim? Like, what happened Purim that never happened before that all of a sudden now the Jewish people are willing to accept the Torah? Okay, you ready for this? Watch right back at you. Until now, we're learning how every plan of Haman, Hashem co-ops, he hijacks and he uses against him. Now we're taking it to the next level. So if a man by the name of Haman, Haman, of course, he's wearing like this cross around his neck and he's walking through the streets. Umar dechai, no, lo yichra, velo Mordechai did not bow. So the Jews, what do you think the Jews said to Mordechai? This is not a good idea. He's going to get angry at us. He's going to make a decree. He's going to harm us. So don't be so religious. Why are you being so religious? You can't. You don't think there's a heter misham eva misham darkei shalom. Why are you sticking it to him? Just, you know, stand, just bow down. Bow down. 
Mordechai said, you're not allowed to. It's Avodah And the Jew said, Rabbi, you're causing us problems, Rabbi. You're making life difficult for us, Rabbi. Rabbi, don't you understand the way the world works? Sometimes you need to be lenient. Otherwise, it's a set. we're going to be set back. Otherwise, things are not going to be good for us. So we, you could probably... I'm sure you could come up with a heter, Rabbi. And Mordechai said, no, you're not going to do that. And the people were unhappy with Mordechai. They called him Ish Yehudi. He's not a Yehudi. He's from Shev Ben Yamin. The Gemara says, they said, look what this... He's acting like a someone from Yehuda who doesn't bow down to Havayi Zara. Why is he being so machmir? You know why the Jews never accepted the Torah Ba'ahava? Says the Chafetz Chaim, of course they accepted the Torah Ba'ahava. But you know what they said in the back of their mind? They said, look God, I understand you want to give us Torah. We'll do it. We'll dive in with a minion three times a day. We'll learn every day. We'll be careful what we say, what we look at. Just you should know, God, that it, the way we think is that this is not going to be good for us. It's going to cause us problems. You know, we're not going to make enough money. How are you supposed to make money if you have to down with a minion three times a day and you have to learn every day? And how are you supposed to enjoy life if there are things you can't do or look at? So God will do the Torah. Of course, you created us and we trust you. It's just, it's not with love because understandably, if we follow your system, it ain't that good for us. That was the attitude of the Jewish people. The attitude was that all of the stringencies of the Torah are setbacks for us. Okay, we won't eat non-kosher. We'll eat kosher. But we'll, we'll eat kosher. Sure, we'll eat kosher and pay five times the price. You will eat kosher even though it doesn't taste as good. We'll give tzedakah even though we're giving away 10 to 20% of our earning. We'll live a boring life and not do and look at what we want to. Sure, God, meaning they accepted the Torah, they accepted it willingly, but the attitude was that somehow this is going to be make life not as good for them. And we all think that way to some extent. Yeah, God, we're being moiser nefesh for you. And then they have this rabbi who's basically endangering the entire Jewish people. So every time Haman's walking by, Mordechai is standing there. Mordechai, just go sit in the shore or something. Go sit to Hillam in the corner. Why do you need to be there in his face, not moving every time? Enough already with your Shmiras Hatoira. And the Jewish people came to him, the Agadah of Esther says. And they said, Don't you know you're endangering our life? And Mordechai said, What do you want me to do? It's Avoy Dezara. So they thought that keeping the Torah is making life more difficult for them. But look what happened from Mordechai sticking it to Haman. You know what happened when Mordechai stuck it to Haman? Haman got angry at him. And he made a gallows 50 feet tall, 50 amos tall. And then Haman wanted to hang Mordechai, but the tables turned. And think about all the things that happened to the Jewish people because Mordechai didn't bow down to Haman. First of all, because Mordechai really stuck it to Haman, ultimately Haman wanted to advance his cause. He's the one who advised Achashverosh to marry Esther. 
he got angry at Mordechai, so he made the gallows. And because of that, they killed Haman. They killed 75,000 Amalekim. They went back to Eretz Yisrael, and they rebuilt the base Hamikdash. Who caused all of this goodness? Mordechai. How did he cause it? By standing his ground, by keeping the halacha. You would have thought his keeping the halacha would set back the Jewish people. The Jewish people's attitude is, why is this archaic rabbi insisting on the minutia of the law? Says the Chafetz Chaim, but even though in the short run, yeah, it was, boy, it was frightening for the Jewish people, but in the long run, because of Mordechai's observance of the Torah, they recognize that the Torah is not just good for the world to come, the Torah is good for this world, and it brings benefit in this world. And all the situations where you think, well, if I wear a yarmulke, I'm not going to make as much money, or if I, if I, uh, I need to shave at this time, or I need to do this, or I need to leave the, the davening early to make... No, all the things that you're careful about, they will be the source of greater bracha in your life. That's what they saw from Purim. The same way, right back at you, as Hashem manipulates the evil plan of the wicked to backfire against them, it also works litoiva. Hashem takes the Mesiras Nefesh that a Jew has to fulfill the Torah, and He uses that, even though at first glance it looks like it's going to be a setback, Hashem uses that to advance Kal Yisrael. That's why in the times of Purim, Klai Yisrael accepted the Torah with love. Because until then they thought, this is a system of law that God wants, even though it's not good for us. And from Purim they saw that the way things work is, that even though at first glance it may look like the observance of the law will cause a setback, will be a hindrance, will be a hurdle, it's Ibcha Mistabra, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu utilizes the observance of Torah, to bring about the exact opposite. I could give you examples in my own life where there were certain things that I said that I was nervous to say about certain issues. I asked about it. I was recommended to do it, even though it was not not Pashat. And I was afraid, I was afraid I would lose from it. And bizarrely, that was the source of tremendous blessing for me. I can't get into too many particulars. It's a klal in the way the Riban Shalom works. The reason why klal Yisrael were makabel the Torah the Ahava in the times of Purim is because they saw from the observance of Torah not only is there no setback, in the end of the day, only bracha happens. You know what the grand finale of the Megillah is? That even though in the beginning of the story the Jewish people were not happy with Mordechai. They criticized him. What in the world are you doing? You're trying to harm us. Why are you doing this to us? By the end of the story, not only did Mordechai not endanger the Jewish people, number one, number one, they killed 75,000 Amalekim. Number two, 
Mordechai is now the wealthiest man. He, the man who he angered, who tried to kill him, Mordechai is now flying over his house. He took over the base Haman. And you would have thought that, that from Mordechai instigating against Haman, against the wishes of the Jewish people, he would be unliked by the Jewish people. But at the end of the day, Ki Mordechai HaYehudi Ratzoi L'Roi Vechav. He's Mr. Popular. Because that's as best as you get if you're a rabbi. Because, <laughs> by the way, the Medrash says that you should never try to please everyone. Who tried to please everyone? Achashur says, party. You want to make everyone happy. God says, I'm the only one who can please everyone. Please most people. But literally, to the, his abundant brethren. But some of Farshim learned to most. The Gemara says that. That some, uh, the Sanhedrin wasn't happy with Mordechai. But why does the Megillah end this way? The point being, you would think that his unpopular decision would have created animosity. No, at the end of the day, Mordechai didn't lose out. He became financially more sound. He became wealthy. Jewish people killed their enemies. And not only that, they actually liked the man. So everything is mamish boomerang. Every plan of Haman fired right back at him. And every good deed of Mordechai that you would have expected and anticipated would have brought disaster to Mordechai and disaster to the Jewish people. The Chafetz Chaim writes, it's printed in a Sefer Musar Haskel, quoted in the Sefer Shalmei Toida. It's also in the official biography of Chafetz Chaim in volume 3. That this was the Chiddush of the Chafetz Chaim. That the Purim story inspired Klal Yisrael. That lest you think, okay, I understand. I'm davening with a minion. It's going to cost me a certain percent of my earnings. Or I'm going to be mocked about A, B, or C. I'm doing it. I'm making a conscious decision. Even though I may lose out, it's still worth it in the long run. No. We learn from the Purim story that the Rebbe Hashem always makes sure that that thing that you're being careful from, that you're concerned is going to cause a setback, that Zihirus and that Shemira, that itself will be the source of the bracha. The same way Hashem hijacks the evil plans of Haman to bring disaster to Haman, Hashem utilizes those areas of Avodas Hashem that you think are going to be detrimental to your well-being in this world. Hashem uses that to bring you bracha. By the way, remember on that day, is Haman es that Haman, when he saw uh, Mordechai and he didn't get up for him, he got full of angry, full of anger. So then Ishchai asks, what do you mean? Mordechai did that every single day. He never bowed down to him. What happened specially on that day? You know, what do you think happened when the Jews came to Mordechai and said, you know, Mordechai, we told you... We told you you need to bow down to him. We told you he's going to make a decree to kill us. Now, right, what do you think they said? Told you so. They said, Mordechai, if you don't bow down to him, we're in danger. And then when there were like, you know, broadsides over the whole world that the Jews are going to be annihilated on the 13th of Adar, what do you think they went to, they went to Mordechai and they do, I'm sure they said, with all due respect, Rabbi, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Great decision. 
With all due respect, you don't know what you're talking about. What did Mordechai do on that day? Mordechai said, not only did I not make a mistake, until, until that day, you know what the Pasuk says? But he would stand up for Haman. Originally, Mordechai stood up. doesn't say you're not to stand up for Avodah Zarah. You're not to bow down to Avodah Zarah. So until that day, until the decree, Mordechai lo yichra v'lo yishtachaveh. But Kima, he did. But once Haman made the decree, Mordechai wanted to show, don't think from keeping the Torah you lose out. From now on, he won't even budge. He became even more observant. Because Mordechai knew nothing bad comes from doing the right thing. And that infuriated Haman more. So the Jews probably said, you know, one second. You know, it was one thing before we told you he was going to kill us and you didn't move. But now we, he's killing us and now you're getting him angrier? And Mordechai said, watch. And because he got him angrier, he built the gallows and then Haman ended up on those gallows. That's the lesson of Purim. The Rebbein Shem takes the most unexpected sources to bring about the most unexpected results. He takes every plan of the Russia to bring disaster to the Russia. And he takes the good deeds of the tzaddik that seemingly appear, seemingly appear like they would be detrimental to the well-being of the Jewish people, and Rebbein Shem uses that to bring great blessing to us. That is the ultimate Benahapaychu. I wish everyone a Freilichen Purim. And Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh